Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. This week, we have a special guest with us to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. Well, as we continue to worship today, as we continue to worship, I encourage you to take your copy of scriptures and let's go to 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1. And as we are all turning there, just a little bit about myself and my uh, family. My name is Jonathan, been married to Heather. This is our 20th year of marriage, and so we will be celebrating 20 on uh, June 8th, 2022, 6802. Uh, seven wonderful children, so thankful for them. How you doing, Lisey? Thanks for waving at me. Thank you. That's the youngest there. And we have been 20 years in ministry. Uh, the last 10 as a senior pastor, what we've mainly done, uh, this has been the Lord's plan, not ours, is we will uh, revitalize a church. We'll go to a church that is almost dead, and God calls us there, and we enjoy just picking the church back up, getting it on its feet. And really, by that time, it's a different church, and so we'll hand it over to another man that's more suited to the leadership of the church. And that, that's really hard work. It's just like church planning except you're, you're dealing with a building usually and that's falling apart, but we've really enjoyed it. But at this stage of life, we would like to settle you know, and get into a place where we can stay and stay long-term and retire and put down roots because we've done a lot of moving around and that's what revitalization, revitalization requires. But let's go to prayer again, just making sure our hearts are right to hear the Word of God, that we would ask Him to empty us of self, and fill us with him and his word. Let's pray. Father, we have uh, been singing to you, uh, Lord Jesus, to you, to the Spirit, uh, just a, a lot of rich truth. And our hearts, I think, are ready uh, to hear the word, the word of God preached. Would you fill both the speaker and the hearer this morning? Would we leave here? having grown in grace and in a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, going from here, as has already been mentioned in prayer, enjoying you more because we know you better. Would you bless this time? And for any that do not know you, Lord Jesus as Savior, would today be the day that they turn to you and would you work that salvation in their heart, O God. In Christ's name, amen. Second uh, Peter. Chapter 1, just a little bit of context. I want to know the context before we jump in. Second uh, Peter was written against false teachers. There was a group that had come into the church and they had said, uh, the spirit is good, but the flesh is bad. And anything you do in the flesh, anything the Bible would call sin, it's okay. You know, something similar to what we'd call Gnosticism. And so Peter, through the Holy Spirit, writes a book and it begins and ends with, grow in grace, work hard on your sanctification, there, there is none of this sitting back and just sinning and not worrying about it and thinking that God doesn't care that we're sinning. God says to us, even in the last verse of 2 Peter, He gives us the command, grow in grace. Well, what does that mean? That's sanctification. That is holiness. That is piety. However you put it, it is growing in who God is in obedience to His Word. And what we're going to see today, because the first part of the book also starts with this growing in grace, but it's practical, is that it's hard work. You will not grow in grace in 2022 
if you're just going to be lazy. If you think it's let go and let God, well, then you're not going to grow. You can't fulfill the command to grow if you're going to read the Scripture and just say, well, it's not a big deal if I sin. We need to fight back against that. And I think we all realize without God we can't grow. What does Philippians 2 say? Uh, Very clearly it says, work out your own salvation. It has that command. But then the very next phrase says, but it is God that works in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. So let's use some, some bigger words quickly, but then move on. You know, we have the word monergistic, which means one person is working. Well, salvation, justification, is monergistic. God saves us, but sanctification is synergistic. We work together with God. And that's what this sermon is about. That's the point of this sermon, that we work with God in our growth and a knowledge of Him. That is sanctification. It takes effort. Looking over your statement of faith, Online there, it even says under Christian maturity, in boldness it says, maturity is the process of dying to selfish goals so that the life of Christ may be formed in us. That's your statement of faith, and that is sanctification. Dying to self, that we may grow in our Christ-likeness. Well, how do we do that? Well, it's hard work. Studying the Word, praying, being faithful to Sunday morning worship, singing, praying, hearing the message. Those of you in Sunday giving, Sunday school giving a message. So that's the, that's the groundwork there. That's the foundation. Let's start reading in 2 Peter chapter 1 and see where God commands us practically how to grow in grace. He starts with a bunch of really good news. There in verse 3 it says, His divine power, God's power, 2 Peter 1, verses 3 through 10. God's power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything that we need. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. We get to taste of God's own glory as Christians. Verse 4 by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them, through those promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Let's stop there a moment. If we are to grow in grace this morning, if we're to grow in grace, we don't just jump in, pull up our bootstraps, and work harder than the next Christian. Hard work is is where we're at this morning. But what is your motivation to grow? Verses 3 and 4 here, God sets the foundation for why we work hard. Look at all these promises, and what He wants to happen in our heart is a similar feeling to after our time of worship through music where we're just overwhelmed with God's goodness, God's amazing grace. Look at all the truths he lists. He says, you have everything you need for life and godliness. You get to taste of my own glory. You have my precious and very great promises. Once again, you get to be partakers of the divine nature, and you've escaped the corruption that is in the world. And at the beginning of verse 5, then what does it say? For this very reason. You see the logical connection? He doesn't say just work hard. He says, because of what I just mentioned, 
because of those truths, be motivated to now begin to hard work. For this very reason, make every effort. Work hard to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. And notice the promise there in verse 8. For if these qualities, the seven qualities that are added to faith, if these are yours and they're increasing, you're working hard to grow in your sanctification and your holiness, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. As, as I know you've heard dozens of times before, all of us have gifts, each of us. And we ask God each day and each week, God, use me for your glory. Use me that I might bear fruit. Well, how can we know that we're bearing fruit? Work hard to add these qualities to the life of faith. Then notice the warning with me in verse 9. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. One of my children recently, and you know where the illustration is going to go, uh, discovered you know, she really needs glasses. And when she put those glasses on for the first time, she said the following, Well, I didn't know the clouds had that type of shape. Look at how the trees are formed. This is amazing. You know, when we start to fall back into sin as Christians, the temptation in 1 John, what teaches this, is that we forget who we are in Christ. We forget who we were, and it's so discouraging. It's depressing. We get caught down in that rut of sin. And this passage is telling us, get back up and start working hard with your motivations in order because you love the Lord, because you're thankful towards the Lord. Now, who did the Holy Spirit choose to write this passage? Peter. Who failed Christ more than anyone we ever know? Peter. Just reading into my devotions this past week, three times he denied Christ before he heard the rooster. Three times in his time of need. But then what did the Lord say to him three times there on the Sea of Galilee just a few days after that? Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. People, let's get back up like Peter did and be used by the Lord and not be so nearsighted that we've forgotten we've been cleansed from our former sins. And then another promise here in verse 10. Therefore, brothers, and you can translate the word brothers, brothers and sisters, you all, you group of people, Therefore, all of you, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. If you say you've been called by God, elected by God, we'll make sure of that by bearing fruit. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Now, just a simple outline this morning that'll come right out of the Scripture. We'll only get to, to point one. Don't want to keep you here till uh, one o'clock. And by the way, I, I see no clock here in this in this sanctuary. There's no clock, but my iPad does have one, so fear not. <laughs> Simple outline this morning. First of all, the ladder of faith. You say, well, why would you refer to these qualities as the ladder of faith? Well, many commentators do believe that these grow on one another. 
It's not that you can't go and love someone else without first working on self-control, but there is a sense in the grammar that these build on one another. So I'm calling it the ladder of faith. We go from one rung of righteousness to the next. And then we read the promises, number two, of the fruit of faith. Verses 8 and 10, the fruit of faith, the promise. And then number three, we said to each other, read to each other the lack of faith in verse 9. So number one, the ladder of faith. Number two, the fruit of faith. And then last, the lack of faith there in verse 9. Uh, that, that, excuse me, that warning. But first of all, we, we cannot continue in the Christian life without correct motivations. As I, as I go to different churches and I inspect my own heart, too often our Christian life, it's run by silly legalism. God, I wake up, I must work hard in order to please you. And we get the cart before the horse. And God would say to us, stop. And before you wake up saying, God is not pleased with me until I do something good, instead start in the opposite way. Remind yourself of how much God loves you in Christ. That you have been blessed with all of the spiritual fruits that God would give you. Every promise that you need for life and godliness, these precious and great promises, they are yours, Christian. And yes, I am calling you to work hard this morning. Scripture is. But first, do it out of a heart of gratefulness and thankfulness. Look at verse 3 and 4. First of all, verse 5, it says, For this very reason, connecting us back to verse 3 and 4, God has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Great and precious promises. You get the taste of His own glory. What is an overused word in our English language? Wow. That's the word you need to say right here. Wow. You are a sinner. And what were we just singing? We have tasted of amazing grace. But by the grace of God, for the glory of God. Dear people, are you thankful for who God is and what He has done on your behalf. Let's work our hearts up to such an amount of thankfulness that hard work just naturally comes out of us because we love Him, because He has loved us so much. One of my mentors, uh, Tom Wells, author several books, uh, Banner of Truth, published his books. He recently went to be with the Lord, but he would often take me aside as an 85-year-old man and say, Jonathan, as a pastor, Remind your people why they do what they do. Because the New Testament is all about motivations. Reading through John once again, seeing the Pharisees, it's not that they did not do what was right, but what was their reasoning? It was for the praise of men. It was for their own glory. And Jesus said, fine, you can have that, but you won't be getting any of my glory. Do it for me. And that is the correct motivation. So are we ready as Romans 12.1 says, I beg you, I beseech you by the mercies of God to give your lives as a sacrifice. Pointing back to the first 11 chapters of the wonderful gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's go on to the first point in our outline, the ladder of faith. The ladder of faith. Now here's some helpful quotes on how important our effort is to growing in grace. It does say, for this very reason, make every effort. 
One commentator says this, human effort, it's indispensable. Human effort is indispensable. But he continues, even though it is inadequate. If we are trying to do this on our own, it will not get done. But if we do it without effort or try to, it will also not get done. So it is, human effort is indispensable. We must work with God, even though it is inadequate. John 15, 5. He is the vine, we are the branches. And if we try to do anything without Him, we need to realize we can do nothing without the grace of God. John 15, 5. Here's another quote. Our salvation does not rule out our activity. That's good, isn't it? Our salvation does not rule out our activity. Just because we're saved doesn't mean we sit on the couch of life and do nothing for the Lord. We work hard in our sanctification. For sanctification is a work of God which believers cooperate in with God. Even the word supplement here, supplement, and there's some disagreement, but you can translate it this way. A generous and costly cooperation. Would you say that your effort with God as you grow together, that it is a generous and costly cooperation? What did the Lord say? That his daughter, his son, is working hard to grow for the glory of God, for the pleasure of God, because you enjoy Him. It's an enjoyable being. And then the word faith here. So for this very reason, because of those good things, make every effort to add to your faith, to supplement your faith. Now we all know faith is a gift of God. What does Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 say? For by grace we are saved through, and that not of ourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's all by grace through faith. And then Hebrews eleven six. maybe my life's verse, maybe it's another one. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God. What is this sanctification we're talking about? It's drawing near to God. We love Him and want to be close to Him because He is our Father, our Savior, the Spirit, the Comforter. We desire to draw near to Him. Whoever does that must believe that God exists and that He rewards. That He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Do you believe that God will reward you this morning as you seek Him? I hope so. There is no greater giver and giver of gifts in all of the universe than our God. Can you say amen? I heard some before I even asked for it. Isn't our God amazing? Isn't He gracious? He looks down on us, sees such sinners, but He sees the blood of His Son. And through that, through His righteousness, He blesses us. He is a rewarder of those that seek Him. So seek Him. And it's not wrong to seek Him because you desire for Him to bless you. Because those are blessings from Him. And that is an act of worship. So let's look at the seven qualities that we add to this faith. Faith is a gift from God. It's the foundation on which we build. But first of all, virtue. And let's just break down each of these words. Break down each of them and apply them to our lives. What do they mean to us? 
the biblical word virtue, it means an aggressive commitment to purity. An aggressive commitment to purity. That's from my former pastor, uh, Dr. Drew Conley in Greenville, South Carolina. Isn't that good? Doesn't our congr I'm sorry, not congregation. Doesn't our country, doesn't this world need to hear a call to virtue today? We are not virtuous people. God help us that some people, they look into the church and they just say, hypocrites. And if we're honest, we would say, okay, yeah, we are hypocrites, but at least we admit it. Come in and join with us and learn to love a Savior that loves hypocrites. But many churches give us good reason to look down on a so-called body of Christ. Because we are not virtuous as we ought to be. Not knowing you that well, I'm sure, I'm sure that you are. My dad a gospel preacher for 40 years of his life before he went home too quickly at the age of 65. He defined this as predictable right behavior. Isn't that good? Just a simple way to remember virtue. Predictable right behavior. What does that mean? Let's apply it. Does everyone know that you're a Christian? And do they know that you will always do the right thing? Hey, don't try the whole gossip thing with them. They won't listen to it. Don't try to get them to get involved in some kind of stealing from uh, the company type of scheme. They won't do it. They're a Christian. Does your family, your neighborhood, uh, wherever you've retired, your workplace, do they know that you will always do what's right? That's what virtue is. That's the, that's the Christian reflecting the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he calls us to. Another friend of mine, a missionary in Cambodia... Brian Kane said that this is moral excellence. This is what ought to separate us from the world. We don't take bribes. We don't tell lies, even so-called white lies. We reflect the character of Christ. And by the way, this word does also have the meaning of courage. And on the, what is this Sunday known worldwide, maybe countrywide? Sanctity of Life Sunday, is that, is that the correct term? And so many gospel preaching churches remember this, and they ought to. But virtue also means courage. can remember 20 years ago or so, having grown up in Northern Virginia, many of us would go and do the March for Life. And people, it was freezing. It was freezing cold. But tens of thousands of us started in Northern Virginia, crossed the Potomac over a bridge, and marched to the steps of the Capitol, when you could actually go to the Capitol. Remember way back then? You could actually go to the steps. And we prayed that abortion would be ended. That the funding to Planned Parenthood would be cut out. That the murder of the innocent would be no longer in our country. And what do we need again? We need a call to virtue, which is moral excellence and moral courage to end things like this. Virtue is not passive. It is active and courageous for the glory of God. And then they work together so well. Add to your faith virtue and your virtue knowledge. Also, the last verse of 2 Peter 3.18, it says, grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. This is what it's referring to. Are you working hard to increase your 
affection for the Lord Jesus? Do you love Him so much and each day you spend in the Word, you grow in your knowledge of Him so you love Him more? What does 1 John teach us? Uh, To know Him is to love Him. So the Bible says let's grow in our knowledge of Him. And of course, practically, this leads to discernment or a practical understanding between evil and good. So the more we grow in our knowledge of Scripture and sound doctrine or healthy doctrine the more we will also grow in our virtue. You can't be virtuous without a knowledge of God, and you can't have a knowledge, a true knowledge of God that doesn't lead to virtue. So these work together so well. And then next, add to your faith self-control. This means, this refers to a mastery over all of the evil inclinations and appetites of our heart. Well, if we're honest, what does that mean? This is a full-time job. This is a full-time job with overtime added to it because our hearts are desperately wicked and are always seeking to go back to please the flesh. So self-control would say, I will not allow my passions to master me. I must fight for the glory of God. If He has died for my sin, why will I crucify Him anew? As Scripture says, we fight against this sin and have self-control. Now, it's not just evil. It's also referring to the self-control for any of the good desires that we might have. We live in a country where everyone is encouraged to have a hobby. And I don't think that's bad. I think it's good. But how often do our hobbies take precedence over God? We allow them to, do we not? They become idols And they overcrowd God and push Him out. How often is the Sunday morning gathering not as full as it should be, but it's not because of sickness or bad weather. It's because a hobby has filled in where the worship of God should be preeminent. Go and enjoy your hobbies after you worship the Lord. That is self-control. 1 Corinthians 6.12. Write this down for further study. The context is different. The context is different. This is more about conscience issues in 1 Corinthians 6.12. Are you guys hearing me well enough? Do I have this uh, high enough? Okay, good, good. But you'll understand how the principle applies to us. Let's read it. 1 Corinthians 6.12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are expedient or wise. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are expedient or wise. All things are lawful for me, But I will not be brought under the power of any. Make your passions your servants and not the other way around. For passions do not make good taskmasters, right? God makes the only right and good master. And make sure your passions become your servants. That is self-control. And oh, how I need to hear it. There are so many temptations for the Christian, right at your fingerprints in our day and age. And even if you were to become a monk or a nun, you still have your heart with you. And we need God to help us to have self-control because we love Him, out of a love for Him. This next one, God has been teaching me this so much, and I'm still being taught it because I I, I think I'm getting a failing grade. <laughs> and so the steadfastness is continually being thrown at me, but I'm thankful for what the Lord is doing. What is this steadfastness? 
A good definition is it's an unflinching patience and endurance in the midst of suffering. Unflinching patience and endurance in the midst of suffering. Think of our Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating great drops of blood as He says to His Father, Must I drink the cup? And His Father said, Yes. And He says, Not my will, but your will be done. Think of Job losing his children. I don't think the money and the cattle and the goats and camels bothered him as much. I think you would agree as a parent as the children. His own wife saying, Listen, buddy, curse God and die. What's the point of living anymore? It's all over for us. He had steadfastness. Now, as we think about the difference between just the word patience, it does involve patience, but it also has steadfastness. It's more. It's more than just patience. Let's illustrate it with the doctor's office. We make an appointment... At 11 p.m. How many of us ever see the doctor right at 11 p.m.? Right, we, we just don't. But since we know that, we go in thinking patience, right? Thankfully, we have these contraptions nowadays. Where is it? I mean, you can just spend hours on these things and not waste time if you're using them correctly, right? You go into the doctor's office, patience, you got it. But let's say you call the doctor because you are being overwhelmed with pain. And you make that appointment and say, I'm just, I am being overwhelmed with a pain that is so great. I, I don't feel like I can live any longer. What can you do for me? Come on in. Let's take a look at you. If you have to sit 45 minutes for an hour waiting for someone to see you when you have that amount of pain in your body, that's when it moves from patience to steadfastness. Do you, so do you see the difference? I think we all do. You're wise congregation, wiser than I am. James 1, 2 through 4 kind of puts the bones, I'm sorry, puts the meat on the bones of this passage here. He says, the Apostle James, through uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, through the Spirit, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. The world thinks we're crazy when we say I'm joyful in the midst of a trial. Verse 3, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. What does 1 Peter 4.12 say? As we go just a couple uh, paragraphs back, a couple of chapters back into 1 Peter, it says, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. But so often as Christians... We're surprised, aren't we? And we will even turn to the Lord. I was guilty of this just a couple weeks ago. And we will say, that's too much. Call the Lord out, right? That's just too much. How can you do this to me? What I'm already going through is enough. And now you've added this, what is going on? We were having to move out of our home. And the only vehicle I had at this point was a big red van I have out there. I packed it full of stuff. I got to the other home. It was snowing. Remember that a couple weeks ago? And what happened to the van? Got stuck. And it's just the straw that breaks the camel's back. And you say, okay, God, I can get kicked out of my home, but you can't let my van get stuck. 
and you had one of those conversations with the Lord where you're just striving to not say something that you really will regret, even though God already knows your heart, so you don't even have to say it. He knows what you're thinking already. That's steadfastness, where God is using a trial to dig out that sin. And it only comes through tough times, because we're stubborn, stubborn people. Let's read verse 4 in James 1. And let steadfastness have its full effect. Let the trial work through you, O Christian, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What's another way we can phrase perfect and complete, lacking in nothing? It's godliness. See how steadfastness and godliness, they work together. So add to your faith godliness. It is best cultivated through the fiery trials that produce steadfastness. Brothers and sisters, you know this already, but let me remind you and encourage you. Don't miss the connection between growth and godliness and trials that are sent from above. Who allowed every last trial that Job tasted of? God did. He said, Satan, all right, I'll give you permission. The Lord Jesus and all that he tasted, who brought that upon him? His own Father allowed that to happen. And through that, we taste of our salvation. Godliness is best cultivated through the fiery trials. Where do we usually use that word cultivated? In agriculture, right? Digging some ground up, getting a tiller out there or a shovel, and just tilling the ground, tearing it up, cultivating it, getting it ready to plant the seed. The last place we lived, we said, well, we'd like to plant a little garden. Is that okay? And and they said, well, you can try, but dig just a little bit. It is red clay and rock. Anybody else have red clay and rock where they're at? It's not everywhere in Southside, Virginia, but it's in a lot of places. So I didn't plant anything because it would have been like Mark 4. You throw the seed out and then the birds come and get it, you know, and dig it up. But what does God do? How does He cultivate? Think of the spade is in God's hand and the spade is the trial. And He digs it down into our heart. And yes, it hurts. But without that breaking up of our hard hearts, the seed... God's righteousness cannot get down in there and actually grow and produce fruit. So as James 1 says, and I'm preaching to myself, let steadfastness have its full effect. Instead of running from the trial, turn and by the grace of God, look it full in its face and say, Lord, help me to grow in godliness in the area that this trial is working it in me. I think another good cross-reference is Romans 5, verse 3 and 4. We're familiar with it. Romans 5, 3 and 4. Once again, uh, the Holy Spirit starts with, We rejoice in our sufferings. How can we do that? We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. You know what word endurance is? It's the steadfastness here. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces Character and character produces hope. What is another way to phrase character and hope? Godliness. How can we rejoice in suffering? We know the suffering is producing godliness in our hearts. Easier said and accepted than done, right? May God give us grace. Now the last two here are both love. 
One is actually love, the other one is brotherly kindness. You say, well, how do we know the difference? Write down Galatians 6.10. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. It just helps us sum up the difference between one facet of love and the other facet of love here. Add to your faith brotherly kindness and add to your brotherly kindness love. Galatians 6.10 states, As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. That's the adding to your faith love. It's the general love for all mankind. And through that love, we even love our enemies. But then it states in Galatians 6.10, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. That's the brotherly kindness. So as you go and you contemplate, where do I give my money? Where do I give my time? Where do I send my prayers? Yes, for the world in general. For even institutions that may not be biblical, but still, God would be using it for good. But He says, first, and especially, practice the brotherly kindness to the church first, then give and pray for the world. That's the difference between the brotherly kindness and the love here in this passage. And never forget, dear people, and you know the answer, What's the most loving act we can do or the loving gift that we can give to the world? What is it? The gospel? Dear people, do you, do you, know, do you know the gospel this morning? Do you know that God Almighty created us to enjoy Him forever? That's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> wow, it's in awe of that. But through Adam and Eve, and Romans 5 would teach us this, through Adam and Eve, all of us sinned together and we rebelled against God. We pushed Him out and we said, not your will, but my will be done. We sinned against Him. We broke His commandments. We pushed Him away. God made us and we rejected Him. But what does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And people, that's part of the gospel right there. Do you believe today that Jesus Christ was sent in love by His own Father? That He willingly came? That He was born of a virgin? That He lived a perfect life? Perfect. If He sinned once, we could not taste of salvation. He had to be a perfect lamb, a perfect sacrifice. Do you believe that He died a painful death? That His blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins? that He died in your place, that you might taste of salvation and glory forever. Do you believe that? And do you believe that He didn't stay in the grave, but He rose again on the third day? You are called to believe those truths. And not only that, what's the other aspect of the Gospel? Faith and repentance. Have you turned from your sin and apologized to a holy God and said, I'm a sinner, forgive me, I've hurt you, I've offended you, I deserve hell, but you can save me from hell today. Have you ever trusted in Christ to save you and repented of your sins at the same time? If you have not, today is the day of salvation. Do not leave here with ice on the roads thinking I'll be okay. Have you repented and placed your faith in Christ? He is a loving, loving God. Turn to Him today, and He will forgive you. How can we apply this? What does the passage say? Let's just be practical. 
Are you making every effort in your walk with Christ? For this very reason, make every effort. How's your Bible study? How's your prayer life? The Bible allows God to talk to us. Prayer allows us to talk to God. How is your faithfulness to Sunday morning worship? This is how we grow. If you want to grow in grace, those are three essentials. You can't have two out of three or one out of three. God calls us to conquer and to tackle all three. Study the Word. Pray to God. Pray for others. And be faithful to church. And you will go a long way towards growing in grace in this next year. Next. Reading through John 15, 8, and this will be our last Last bit of application. As I said, reading through John, preparing this message, saw this verse. It's what John 15, 8 says. Remember John 13 says, Knowing that he would die, Jesus took aside his disciples that God had given him, his Father had given him, because he loved them. These are the most loving words he could come up with. These are his final words to his, to his men, his disciples. John 15, 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Isn't that very similar to our passage? Our passage says, prove that you have been elected. Prove that you have been called. How do we do that? Bear fruit. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love. One towards another's, John 13 says. John 15 says, bear much fruit and prove that you are a child of God. Our goal is the church, church universal and then local churches. Our goal is to bring God glory. And if we are not bearing fruit, we are not bringing God glory. My wife will often say to me, if I'm on one of these sinful rants or doing something selfish, or she'll say to one of our children or herself, you know, you're stealing God's glory right now. Is it worth it? These silly little sin patterns, is it worth it to be stealing God's glory for sin? And of course it isn't. When we don't honor the Lord and work hard towards salvation, I'm sorry, towards sanctification, justification God gives us, sanctification we work with Him, we steal His glory. And none of us want to do that as Christians. So my encouragement to all of us this morning, be so thankful for what Christ has done for all of us that we can't wait to get up every morning to work hard, to make every effort, not because we have to, but because we, we want to. Because God has been so good to us, we respond with, I can't wait to get to know you a little bit better. Don't you just love Jesus so much today? Don't you just love Him? Love the Lord? Aren't you so thankful to the Father for His care? How He takes care of us? Hasn't the Spirit given you comfort and strength this week? Can we all testify the comfort and the strength of the Spirit? Out of love and thankfulness to God today, work hard at growing in grace. Can we do that by the grace of God? To grow in grace. Now, it's my practice, and forgive me for not asking them what they wanted me to do it, 
But if we can just bow our heads for 10, 15 seconds, 20, 30 seconds, this is your opportunity to respond. Let's just quietly, each of us, pray to the Lord, and I'll step down and hand it over to you all. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at FCCSobo.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.